Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to talk about those uh, things that that are a little bit uncomfortable for the world today. And uh, one of the things that I want to talk about first is emotions. What, What is this thing that we call emotions and uh how does that work uh what uh you know so i i went and i looked up a lot of stuff about emotions and and the way in which they define the word and uh how that uh is looked at i mean like if if you were asked to define the word emotions right now what what do you think the definition of emotions would be. I mean, uh, feelings is is that what emotions are? Uh, what kind of uh, feelings uh, uh, fall into? Is all feelings part of your emotions, or is your mental process a part of your emotions? What exactly is this thing that we call emotions? Well, just a basic definition. If you looked it up. Uh, is emotion is a natural instinctive state of mind deriving from one's circumstances, mood, or relationships with others. So, it's a state of mind. Emotions is a state of mind. It's a mental process. Uh, is everything that you experience the result of your mental processes? Well, this is where the controversy starts to expand out in whether you're talking about psychology or philosophy, what what is emotions? Uh, and some emotions, uh, they refer to it as a state of feelings that result in physical and psychological changes that influence our behavior. Well, the fact is, there's a lot of chemical processes that don't really necessarily go on through the mind. I mean, uh, you can have... Uh, you know, pain doesn't originate in the mind. It may travel through the mind, but it doesn't originate there. You know, if somebody smashes their thumb, uh, that is that pain entering into the mind is going to cause all kinds of things, but it's traveling through the body before it enters into the mind. I mean, the body reacts to the pain immediately uh, on its own. So... Uh, and it will produce a state of emotion. <laughs> if you if you go back to the source of the word emotion, uh, you know, from, out of the English, actually, it comes originally from a French word, which actually means to excite. So something that excites was considered emotion. And that that French word, of course, came from a Latin word before, and that actually came from two words: is out of movement or out of move. Um, it's the word out and move. Something caused you to move. And so it isn't necessarily a mental process only. There can be physical processes. The The pain will cause adrenaline to be secreted that will affect your mental process. Even without your mental processes taking over. It's just automatic. It's, it's a physical reaction. And it's putting... Uh, chemicals into your brain, hormones, uh, adrenalines, and those immediately will alter what we would call your emotion, your movement. 
Your psychological movement, your state of mind will change because of a physical activity. There are natural uh, chemical processes in the body. The, the desire to reproduce is, is, creates a hormonal uh, deluge in the body that causes a person's mind to go to certain things. You know, men think about women. Women think about men because of those hormones that are secreted because of a natural process to reproduce. That is in all living creatures. All living creatures want to reproduce to continue their species. All living creatures will eventually reach to a point where they die. And before they do, they try to reproduce themselves. And this this uh, secretion of hormones is a physical reality, even without emotions. And so they, what goes first? Is it the emotion, the passion of of the opposite sex being drawn towards each other for that process, that natural process of reproduction? Is that producing an emotion, or is that the result of a, an emotion, or is it a combination of both, one feeding the other? That you know that you you get a feeling uh, that comes from a chemical desire to reproduce, and it draws you to the woman, and the woman's presence draws you to a feeling which draws you to more of the emotional response, which draws you to action, which draws more emotional response, so that it becomes a part of a process. So the emotion itself is not the process. But it can be stimulating the process at the same time the process is stimulating it. And that's really what it comes down to. And this is part of the confusion. Uh, because actually if you, if you study, uh, the, there, you know, I thought I'd look up and find a scientific definition, uh, where there'd be some sort of consensus on what emotion is. And they actually state there is no scientific consensus on the definition of emotion. There's quite a few different uh, views and theories and perceptions of what this emotion is. Being uh, a minister of the gospel, am I going to say, what about spiritual effects upon emotion? Is there a spiritual design to the universe? Of course, I believe there is. And... Is there two spiritual designs floating about? One from the Creator and one from those who rebel against the Creator and do something contrary to the Creator, the evil. And that has a pattern. And God has a pattern. And those two patterns are going to produce a different set of emotions or take emotions in a different direction. So, if you have any emotional problems, what part of that is chemical? What part of that is uh, spiritual? What part of it is mental? Uh, the fact is, is all of the above are having some sort of influence upon your emotions and therefore upon your actions, what you do. Emotions are a part of why you do what you do. Emotions is part of bravery. Emotions are a part of cowardness, coward, 
being a coward. Uh, emotions are part of uh, uh, promiscuity. Uh, emotions are part of, uh, you know, remaining pure. Uh, when you get drunk, uh, emotions led you to get drunk. Uh, many of your habits, people say, well, I do that to help me cope with stress. Well, stress is, part of that is, uh, most of what stress is, is emotion. It's your reaction to conditions. Mentally, emotionally, uh, and then when they, you know, how do you div- separate emotionally from mentally? Physically, how do you separate emotion from physically? They're a part of each other. They're part of a whole process. But which part may determine the outcome? And what part of spiritual awareness, spiritual connection, is affecting this whole emotional state of mind that we're experiencing? Uh that is kind of uh, the uh, $64 million question. Uh, emotion in everyday speech is any relatively brief conscious experience characterized uh, intense mental activity or uh, a high degree of, you know, involving a high degree of pleasure or displeasure in something. That's that's a view of emotion. Again, that's not entirely, because it it separates it into a conscious experience. That emotions are a conscious experience that are characterized with this intense mental activity uh, and high degree of pleasure or displeasure, but it isn't necessarily a conscious experience. A great deal of emotions is subconscious. It's not, it's not coming from the consciousness. I'll give you an example. Phobias. People are afraid of certain things and they have no idea why they're afraid of those things. They're conscious of the fear, but they're not conscious of what is causing the fear. So, what, when did the emotion come about? Uh, the, the emotion of fear come about? Did it come about from a conscious experience or was it simply experienced? And then uh, people who are asleep, people who are in coma, they manifest evidence of emotions. Yet, they, they are not even supposedly conscious of what's going on. So how much, you know, how many times have somebody felt, I don't know, I just feel angry. I don't know, I just feel sad. Yes, the emotion that is in the conscious mind, but what is causing the emotion, which is as much a part of the emotion as the emotion itself, is not necessarily from a conscious experience or something that you are conscious of. It may manifest itself. And that's another thing. Uh, People talk about uh, these... uh, Emotions, uh, like somebody, somebody who's very, uh, you knew people who were from Sicily or from Cuba were very uh, dramatic. You know, when they were upset, you knew they were upset. They were, uh, 
very animated individuals. But uh, there are other people who are far more reserved. And they may be upset, but you can't hardly even tell. You know, it's the difference between the extrovert expression of himself and the introverted person's expression of himself. Which one has more intense emotion? Well, you don't necessarily know because of the way in which the emotion manifests itself. The introverted person still has maybe the same intensity of emotion, but the habit of their being is keeping the external expression of that emotion suppressed. You know, the, uh, to some, emotion is this uh, state of feelings that results in physical and, and uh, psychological changes that influence their behavior. Now, that that's one of those definitions, because like I said, the uh, scientific community doesn't have a single definition. But they, they talk about this influence of our behavior as a result of an arousal of the nervous system. And we talked about, you know, uh, the natural uh, desire to sexually reproduce is an arousal of the nervous system. But also, fight or flight is arousal of the nervous system, which is causing hormones to secrete and, and uh, body functions to, you know, prepare to run or to fight. And uh, secreting all kinds of adrenaline to make that reality uh, come to be. And that's part of the emotions, is feeding that system. But the person who is extroverted, you're going to know that they look like they're about ready to fight. But another person who's more introverted, you may not get as many signals. But the body is still doing the same things, preparing in the same way. The person who sits and thinks about things that people have done to them, bad things that people have done to them. Uh, or doing to them. Uh, but they're an introverted person. So you don't see the expression. But they internalize it. So that's going within them. How many times uh, do people have traumatic experiences? Maybe they were abused as a child. Uh, maybe uh, the life itself. You know, Maybe they had relatives who died. Parents who died. Uh, brothers and sisters who died. Or were terribly sick. Or or were injured, and this caused trauma because the people around you are part of your security as you're growing up. And when you see them devastated or destroyed or made ill and die, this has an effect on your whole world, and it has an effect on you. Now, if you're an extroverted person, you may do a lot of crying. If you're an introverted person, you do internal crying. But the trauma is still there. You know, that people talk about letting it out. Most of the time when people let out what's bothering them, they let it out in a way that it it starts bothering other people. They let it out in an abusive way. I mean, how many people who were molested as a child end up having the same feelings to molest others as they grow up? I mean, it is common that you, you find these people who have uh, these... Uh, uh, addictions to abuse, abusing other people, when you actually go back in their history, you find out they were abused as a child. And it created a cycle of abuse that they kept returning to time and time again. So, 
what's that? Is that part of the emotions? Is that part of the subconscious uh, stimulation of emotions? Well, you know, it gets it can get very, very complicated. Uh, so uh, we'll take a look at some of the other theories of emotions are not uh, causal forces, but simply syndromes. And obviously, we're dealing with psychologists now because they like to use words like syndromes uh, of components. So emotion is just a part of a process, uh, which might include uh, motivation, why you're doing what you're doing, feelings, uh, behavior, and psychological changes. But uh, no one of those things uh, or components is the emotion itself. Nor is the emotion an entity that causes these components. That's, that's another theory when they approach this idea of emotion. So, it seems like a very chaotic uh, subject with uh, all these different components. Subjective experiences, cognitive processes, uh, expressive behaviors, uh, uh, psychological changes in your being are all instrumental in behavior modification. But uh, it gets so complex that uh, it makes lots of money for psychiatrists and psychologists who are all trying to figure it out. Can we make this all a little simpler? I'll, I'll bring it down to earth, down to uh, uh, the basics uh, well, one individual said emotion typically includes subjective, conscious experience, characterized primarily by psychological expression, biological reactions, and mental states. So you got a mental process, you know, what you're thinking, how you react in your mind, what you think is reality. Biological reactions, just those automatic hormones that are released uh, when you're frightened, when you're... you're uh, uh, attracted to something, when you like something, when something tastes good, it creates an emotional response. So these are all just biological reactions. The reality, those those biological reactions, you can actually, they can trigger memories, which can trigger mental processes, which can bring you back to a time when things were really good. And that begins to affect. So the biological reactions are not independent of the mental state. Um, they, they, when they talk about psychological expression, they often talk about it in uh, psychosocial uh, expression. In other words, you have a certain psychological expression that you're, you know, something that, which actually has to do again with the mind, where you're expressing something, but your social behavior, your your habits socially, only allow you to express it in certain ways. Like I said, uh, somebody from uh, yeah, Sicily or, or Cuba might be very, very flamboyant in the way in which they express what they're feeling. While somebody else who might be from Great Britain might be more reserved in their expression of the same emotion. But uh, anyway, so basically you have the biological and the mental, but also the social psychological expression of what it is that is coming up in your 
being. Your conscious experience that is subject to these pre-existing conditions. Your mental state, your biological state, and your social psychological state. Okay, so now, with that as a basic foundation to realize where emotion fits into this, where the mind fits into this, where your your personal biology fits into this. I mean, the biology between a man and a woman is different. The, the, the role that they play in reproduction is different. They may both have the same desire, but they go about it in a different way. Uh, just because anatomically, this is they are built to do things in a different way. And uh, it's not it's not rocket science. It's not like uh, algebraic stuff that you can fit together. But there are certain patterns that are already built into the natural function that are not changeable. They are basic natural functions and and ways in which to accomplish the ultimate goal. Uh, which is a natural goal of reproduction. Okay. Passion is going to involve parts of these different uh, characteristics. The psycho, so, so, sociological, <laughs> uh, sociological uh, expression, the biological expression, the mental state, all these things. Passion is is the motivation, the, the, the thing that forces you as an individual, pressures you as an individual to go in a particular way. And it's fed by thoughts and by those biological feelings that are produced by those hormones that are inside of us, that are stimulated naturally inside of us. Uh, heredity will play a part in that. What is inside of us is the big question. What is causing? What is the causal uh, factor in us? Well, that could be a lot of things because there's a lot of things that are inside us. How did it get there? What is it? What uh, is it more than one thing that is inside us that are causing these effects? Anyway, we're going to take a look at that and find out taking a journey within Find out what is inside of us making us do what we do right after this brief break. So, we're going to look into this whole concept of emotion and, and, uh, and the mental processes the, uh, that go along with it and see if we can't take a look at some of not only the uh, psychological and physiological makeup that causes us to do what we do in order to get a better grasp on the spirituality of ourselves and not really to separate these things out, but to realize what what is us and what is not us. What can we let go? What can we be free from? And what now has us cap, captive? 
In Galatians 5, 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and not entangle again uh, with the yoke of bondage. So, what exactly does that mean, not entangle again in this yoke of bondage? Well, he was talking about circumcision. Well, circumcision was actually a political uh, experience because of the fact that that was part of your membership in a system of government. And uh, so, he he's what he's trying to do is bring you back to a state of freedom where you are not bound by the rituals of that membership, but bound by the spirit of that membership. And that, of course, is what Christ was trying to bring us to. You know, where he was, you know, is it lawful to do this on the Sabbath or that on the Sabbath? And, you know, because he was trying to get people to move according to the spirit that these rituals were pointing to rather than worship by the ritual alone. And that that's a great temptation where we were always trying to follow the ritual because we think if we follow the ritual, that pleases God. And the absolute opposite is true. That God wants you to follow Him in spirit and in truth. And the ritual is just something that He's passed down to you to explain what the Spirit is. Christ doesn't care about stone temples. Christ doesn't care about, uh, you know, external rituals. Uh, you know, when people started keeping dates and all this stuff and counting dates and, and things that worried the apostles. Do you worry me? Because you're doing this again. Because really, all that uh, emphasis upon the ritual is idolatry. So anyway, how does this translate into practical terms? Because we all have certain phobias and uh, and passions and uh, habits, and some of them are bad and some of them seem good. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Uh, I have a grandson who uh, sometimes he has trouble getting motivated, so he has. Uh, what is it, 30 algebra problems to do every day in at home studies. And so what he does is he goes and gets an orange and he peels the orange and he breaks all the little wedges out so they're all separate and he lays them out and he says, every time I do a problem, I get to eat an orange. <laughs> you know, slice the orange. And so that's his motivation to keep him, you know, I can't take that orange, that slice, until I finish this problem. So then I he keeps him focused. The, he, he's, he's giving himself his own treat, <laughs> reward, in order to do the pro problem. And he's created that as kind of his own little mental process, uh, psycho-sociological process, of, uh, to get him to, to do this, the, the problems to get him done within a period of time. He says he doesn't have to do that if he does his math with his brother. His brother does is younger and he does a lower math and he only has 20 problems. Uh, but he wants to get finished before his brother does. So he races his brother and so he doesn't have to do the orange thing. But if he doesn't have his brother there to do it, then he, he sets us up this other system 
by which helps him to get it done. Well, you know, so we're talking about emotions uh, that now he 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 can get this treat of the orange because of the fact. So he's got this motivating, and again, emotions is what is moving you. And but he's created the criteria all on his own in order to do this. His his brother is a list. Uh, cross-outer. He makes a list of jobs to do, and when he's done with a job, he crosses it off. And uh, his that father evidently does the same thing. As his father has been known to add a job he just finished to the list and then cross it off. <laughs> so it's it's partly in their nature to do this. It's a it's passed down from generation to generation. But of course, every child is the product of two different separate lines of generations. Uh, so, therefore, they will be mixed complements of those. We have other more extreme patterns where you had people like Jeffrey Dahmer who uh, went out and killed and ate people to dominate them. He was very dominated as a child and he, this is he, he became addicted. He, did, he felt guilty after he did these things. But then he still went back to them time and time again. John Wayne Casey, or Gacy, uh, he did the, you know, 23 bodies buried underneath his house and possibly many others that he killed and dumped into rivers, uh, around the, the area where he lived, uh, kept returning to this macabre behavior. Everybody thought he was a nice guy, a wonderful guy. Until they discovered what he was really doing. Habit. Passion. Emotions. It could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. And so it's very important to know what is making me passionate about this, that, or the other thing. And we have certain criteria in nature, in uh, in society that says this is bad and this is good. And you don't want to go this way. You want to go that way. Now, again, what we do is we begin to worship the form rather than the reason. And so now all of a sudden, because somebody does not match up or conform to what we call the formula, the social formula, we condemn them. We put them down. We we hate them. We are cruel to them. And that it's because we do that is to fixate our own mind on what we consider to be the right way. Yet Christ sat down with saints and sinners, sat down with people and, and uh, uh, came to the defense of harlots. And uh, uh, not that he condoned what they did, one of the interesting things, the Nicolaitans, the deeds of the Nicolaitan God hates, not the Nicolaitan himself. And by hate, he means disapproves of, uh, passionately disapproves of. Why? Because he knows that the deeds of the Nicolaitans leads to destruction. It weakens the poor. If you don't know what the deeds of the Nicolaitans are, because most of you out there are Nicolaitans, <laughs> Did you know that? That's that's rather disappointing. I should be tickling your ears and tell you that you're all saved. No, what the fact is, most of you practice the deeds of the Nicolaitans on a regular basis. You even do it right after coming out of church and right before going to church. And your pastor thinks it's great. 
And he just keeps tickling your ears. But we don't do that. So if you want to know what a lit Nicolation is, go to one of our websites, Preparing You or His Holy Church, and look up Nicolations. And and find out what and who the Nicolations are. Because you're probably one of them. At least what your deeds are. But God doesn't hate you, but He hates those deeds. Why? Because they they lead to your destruction. They actually draw you away from God. It is the deeds of the Nicolaitans is the antithesis of what draws you to God. And and the deeds of the Nicolaitans is predominant in the world today. Every nation in the world has citizens as a rule that are following the deeds of the Nicolaitans. But anyway, I'll let you go do that as your homework assignment. Uh, so, anyway, when we marry, uh, choose to marry, when we uh, uh, have a, choose a boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, when we choose to go to school, when we choose to go to college, uh, to study, to do things, uh, to work at a job and be successful at a job or start our own business, all these moves in our even, you know, how we dress, how we clean ourselves or don't clean ourselves are all motivated out of these emotions. You know, uh, just like he, he's going to do this math problem because he's gonna, he can eat that orange. Nobody imposed that rule on him. He imposed it upon himself because he knows he needs that motivation to help him get through. So God knew we would need motivation too. So he gives us emotions to move us. But other people, other entities, other conditions and circumstances beyond our control can begin to manipulate our emotions and move us in directions that are not good. Drug addiction. Extreme emotional involvement in drug addiction. Even drugs you say, well, that's non-addictive drug. You know, uh, but yet it's your passions and your emotions that draw you and use that drug. Alcohol, marijuana, uh, or heroin, uh, cocaine, meth. I mean, uh, how many people know that meth destroys you and your body? Yet it's still selling like hotcakes and people are still going that way. And you think like, why are you doing that? It's crazy. It's insane. But everything you do is tied somehow or other to these motivating characteristics that come from your subconscious, that come from society around you, your friends. Because, I mean, I live in this society and I, I know lots of people, but I'm not as affected by the opinions of my friends as I am affecting the opinions of my friends. <laughs> Uh, that's the difference between, uh, you know, what is driving me? What is driving you? What is inside of us is very important to take a look inside of us because behind that dark curtain to look inside, what is moving us? Uh, I know people are just obsessed with driving people away from them. They drive their children away from them. They drive their uh, relatives away from them, their friends away from them. And they lead terribly lonely existences. And they can't figure out why. But they also don't want to look. 
you want to sit down and talk to them about why are you doing this? Uh, they would just blow up. They would become angry. They don't want to see. So how do you, how do you help them? Well, you know, there's some amazing things that you can do if you help yourself first. If you begin to see inside yourself first. See what's moving you. What's motivating you. Those secret sources of motion in your life. That you don't know why you do this, but you do it. So what's inside of us? That's what we need to know. Uh, we're told to study to be still. Be still and know. Uh, what is that all about? The fact is, if you went and we, uh, on our, you can go listen to some of our shows on meditation. If you went and tried to sit still and wait upon the Lord, not react, uh, not, uh, get into, uh, mental processes where you're thinking about this and that and what happened there and what you're going to do, but you just sit still and be aware of yourself sitting in the moment. All sorts of thoughts will rise up in your mind. Sitting still is a very hard thing to do. Very difficult thing to do. Can you do it without trying? Just say, I'm, I'm going to fast from acting and reacting. Thinking about, because see, you can, you can sit there and think about things that frighten you and become afraid. Cause those hormones to secrete adrenaline. Because you're thinking about all these things. And we have so many things. You watch a movie, a scary movie. And people love to watch scary movies. Some do. Because it it stimulates life. It stimulates those hormones, that adrenaline. And uh, it's a release. Uh, but they're only watching it. You know, Nothing's in the TV going to actually jump out and get them. Yet they go through that process. Because... They need that stimulation. What happens if you were deprived of stimulation? Or chose to deprive yourself of stimulation? I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to react. I'm not going to entertain these thoughts. Follow these conversations in my mind. I'm going to sit still and wait upon the Lord to show me what is inside of me. What is in there? What? Who's pulling the strings? You see, because some of the things that are inside of you is not you. It got inside of you through trauma. Through somebody doing something to you or something happening to you or something that frightened you. Usually fear is a, a big part of it, but also pleasure can be a part of it. And you don't want th- those things pulling your strings either. You want to be set free and not be entangled again in the elements of the yoke of bondage. And that bondage is, you know, one of the biggest chains of our bondage is forged in emotion. And it draws us back to certain patterns of behavior that may be self-destructive, may Keep you from seeing the truth of a particular situation. We talked about psychosis. Psychosis is this inability to see reality as it is. You simply cannot see reality as it is. On some of our uh, shows on the mind, which you can listen to at Preparing You, uh, and the whole article's on the subject, where people have phantom limbs. 
where they have, uh, you know, they had an arm cut off, but they still feel the arm and it still hurts and has pain and all this stuff. And so they, they, they create a box where you see the, you know, the right arm is gone, but you stick your left arm in there and you see what looks like your right arm on the other side. It's, it's doing everything your left arm is doing, but you, and you try to move both as if they are coordinated together and you're actually looking at a reflection of your left arm and the phantom pain goes away that may have plagued you for years and years and years but it only goes away while you look at your at the mental uh, the, the mirrored image of your left arm as if it was your right arm and then when you take your hand out of the box now the pain comes back again But if you keep using the box, and they've done this, eventually the pain goes away and doesn't come back. Because you've trained your mind that it's okay. And the pain goes away. So the whole pain and everything to begin with was a mental aberration. So we see that with that that situation with somebody who has an arm cut off and has this phantom pain that they cannot deal with and they try to take medication. And they finally... Cure it simply by training the mind to imagining that the right arm is still there. And the pain goes away. And then they practice going to the place mentally where the pain goes away. Until even when they're not looking at the image in the mirrored box, the pain doesn't come back. And they've trained themselves. Well, what about people? Did you know there are people who actually believe, they look down, they see their right arm, and they think it's not their arm. They think it's somebody else's arm. Or something else, that it's not theirs. No, that's not my arm. But it's attached to you. Yeah, but it's not my arm. I know that's not my arm. And they they actually believe that. And this is not all that uncommon. I mean, it's, it's somewhat rare, but it happens all over the world. Some people have actually had their arm surgically removed because it's not their arm. They know it's not their arm. And, uh, and it bothers them. It's just, it just irritating the heck out of them. And so they have their arm literally cut off in order to adjust. And some of them seem to adjust, but many times they didn't cut off enough. There's a little bit left that's not theirs. And so that, you know, they want to go back into surgery and have a little bit more cut off. Well, eventually they start getting to the head. Because, of course, this is a head problem to begin with. You think, like, you actually went and had your arm surgery. You can't have that put back, you know. But the people actually have done this. And now we're getting closer to the problem. <laughs> That we're going to be talking about. Uh, where does that idea come from? That part of them is not them. And then this gets into the whole idea of body mapping. When somebody has an arm that is actually cut off, a limb that's cut off, uh, accident or whatever, uh, they will remap that limb on another part of their body. Where and this was an amazing discovery. We we have some videos up that explain how this works and everything. 
where they may remap a hand that was cut off on their face. Their body remaps the existence of that hand on their face. And so if you tickle a little spot here, it will be this finger, the index finger. You tickle this little spot over here, and it will be the middle finger. And you tickle this spot, it's the back of the hand. And a guy goes through and he draws a map of where this, he's blindfolded, so he doesn't know where you're actually tickling. But he thinks you're tickling his hand, which doesn't exist anymore. But he's actually tickling a part of your face. Uh, because that's where you remapped it. You, know, you can remap it on your stomach. You can remap it a lot of different places. But the body remaps the existence of your hands somewhere. On you. And the doctor goes through and discovers where, where that is. And he says, well, this is, this is where you've remapped your hand. The existence of your hand. Because that, that's what the body does. They're supposed to, naturally, there's supposed to be a hand there. It's gone. So what do I do with the fact that it's gone? So there's all kinds of invisible mental processes going on that you're completely unaware of that have an effect on you physiologically and emotionally. And you you don't understand how that's all going on. Now, couple that with the idea that trauma can get inside of you. Somebody else's this is how evil enters into your body. Someone who probably was molested themselves or abused themselves abuse you. Now, there there are all kinds of levels of abuse. I mean, there's obviously somebody can, you know, do heinous, terrible things to a small child. But sometimes abuse is really rather mild. And maybe not even noticeable. But the spirit that was in that individual got there when they were abused. And now they pass, because you have to let it out, right? Everybody tells you, you got to let it out. Don't keep it within. Well, some of the time when people are let, most of the time when people are letting it out, they're passing it on to somebody else. Kind of like zombie. Zombie gets the disease. The zombie has to go and bite somebody else to give them the disease to pass it on. Can't let it keep it in. You got to let it out, right? So they go and they bite somebody else. Werewolf. Werewolf gets bit. Now the werewolf has to bite you and you become a werewolf. Vampire. Vampire gets bit. Now the vampire has to bite you and you become a vampire. Is it that, that pattern, we see that over and over again in our folklore and in reality, that's actually what we're doing all the time. Somebody injures you, you've got to injure somebody else. Somebody infests you with the, with the, the spirit of abuse, you're going to have to go and abuse somebody else. That's one reaction. There's another reaction that you could pass on. And this, this is powerful. This is powerful. You can forgive your abuser. Now what he tried to pass on to you, where does it go? It comes back on him. If you forgive him with love, it comes back to him with love and infects him. And it and traumatizes the evil in him. This is how you drive out demons. But we're going to have to talk about this in the next show coming up. 
so that you can learn how to drive out demons. But you better have the ultimate teacher do it. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. back to keys of the kingdom uh, so we were talking about emotion and we can probably sum that up is that motion is the movers it's the movers in your life the things that move you they emotion you they they set you into motion now there's a lot of different movers and it's kind of like that uh that little thing we see on the desks of people where they have like six little silver balls or uh steel balls hanging there from strings and you pick up one silver ball and you swing it out and you let it come and hit the others and it hits the others but only one ball on the other end swings out and if you pull back two balls and and then all of a sudden two and the fact is is one mover causes the ball's way at the end to move. You don't see the ball that moves get hit, but you see all the others get hit. And this is a chain reaction that takes place. And the motions work much that same way. There's lots of different factors, physical factors, mental factors, uh, you know, that uh, socio uh, factors, uh, hereditary factors, which are also physical, but they're kind of all hooked together, and that's you, 
and something hits them and causes a reaction and emotion at the other end. Now, what happens is there are foreign objects that come into play that sometimes get inserted in the process and they begin to affect the whole of the process. So, you want to get rid of those things that are not you that have gotten in there that are affecting you. A lot of these people who commit these crimes over and over again, these heinous crimes, they want somebody to stop them. There was one, I can't remember his name right offhand, but when he was going to the electric chair or uh, going to be executed, he thought that this was the only way to cure him. It's not the only way to cure him. It didn't really cure him. It just stopped him. It stopped him in that physical body. But didn't cure him. It wasn't a solution. But that's what people decided to do with him. There are other things to do. And what happens is that the evil, there's actually now, if you listen to our shows on uh, Secrets of the Universe and Heaven and and uh, uh, the quantum effect, the string theory, uh, you realize that science is saying that there are other multiple dimensions. And in these dimensions, entities can live. And they're spending millions and billions, millions and billions, millions of dollars to open doors into these other in, uh realms uh, these parallel universes that they believe are out there now these aren't uh, crazy religionists well they are but uh, they're they're science religionists because science is a religion now and they believe that these things exist and of course we believe that they exist uh, you know people who have studied the bible and read the bible that heaven and hell exist what are they they're parallel dimensions <laughs> <laughs> which entities live. And those entities may try a number of different ways to influence us. Christ didn't come to rule over us and trick us. He came to show us how to be set free. Now, the evil comes and they want to manipulate and control and force us. And we see this manifested in the world today where your neighbor wants to force you to contribute to his welfare. This is evil. This is the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And they want to force you. And they think it's okay. They've, they've become so comfortable with it. The idea of having public schools and uh, public supported fire departments and everything. I mean, obviously, fire departments are a good thing, right? But it should be supported by volunteerism. Otherwise, you bind one another. You covet one another's goods. You desire, you force one another to contribute to your welfare. And you've opened a door into a universe that we call hell. You're opening the door to hell. And you're being drawn near the ways of hell. Not the ways of righteousness. Not the ways of God who gives you choice. Satan takes choice away from you. He wants to choose what you're going to do and what you can't do and must do. And he disguises his power to control what you're doing by saying he's going to set you free. Great swelling words. He's going to set you free. But he's actually going to bring you into bondage. You know, it's like the people who want communism because they want a fair society. And they believe that that will... No. That empowers somebody else to decide what will be fair and what will not be fair. And how to control you and how to manipulate you and everybody else. But anyway, 
we're getting off the subject there a little bit, but yet not really that far off the subject. So we were talking about uh, how this works where you bite somebody else. Be careful you do not bite one another lest you be devoured. Uh, and you pass on the trauma that's in you by traumatizing somebody else. Well, you can pass on the righteousness in you as well. By loving one another. By doing things for one another. We had somebody in one of the congregations that wanted to leave the congregation. And they actually moved away already anyway. But uh, they didn't want to be associated anymore because they said there was no fruit in the congregation. And I thought, you know, I chuckled when I heard this. And I asked the minister, who was it who did, who pulled more time and energy from you and the rest of the congregation and all the people in the congregation. Well, it was that individual. They were the most demanding. They received the most help from anybody. And they contributed probably the least. Uh, yet they didn't see any fruit. Well, what's fruit? <laughs> they don't realize that they... And what they were doing was going off and falling in love with the ritual, the form. And, and of course, they don't need fruit because they always got the government. The government will give them fruit, will give them unemployment, and will, uh, you know, help them out with welfare and food stamps and, and all these things. So they, And they think that that's fruit. But what it actually is doing is drawing them into a spiritual realm. Where you can bite one another. Where it's it's legal to bite one another. It's actually encouraged to bite one another. To take from people who have. Because you don't have. And so you're, you're, you're following a spirit. In this other realm. And you're getting closer and closer to the, the spiritual uh, source. Of the reality that you're creating. By following the deeds of the Nicolaitans, back to that deeds of the Nicolaitans, which you need to to look up and find out what the deeds of the Nicolaitans are. So, what happens if evil bites you and you forgive them? Now you set up a process whereby that you forgive them in love. Don't just forgive them as some sort of ritual. But you actually lovingly forgive them. You realize that they do not know what they do. And I've, I've just started an argue, uh, article on, on that. Where some people were translating forgive them not. For they know what they do. Instead of forgive them they know not what they do. And I show in Greek standard Greek syntax. And then I, I back this up by looking at the theme of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I'm not quite done with it, but we will release it on the networks shortly. Uh, or when we get the time to do so. But the reality is, is that is uh, that forgive them, they know not what they do. Forgive them out of love. That's a power. Energy flows. From and now you're drawing near Christ and the character of Christ and the energy that is from the realm of Christ, which comes by way of the Holy Spirit, flows from you to them, and it will drive demons away. 
it will drive the evil away. They cannot stand the light. That to them it is painful, and you drive them away. If you fight them on their terms, if you resist them evil on its terms, you will feed evil. You will make it stronger in your life. But anyway, let's go back to uh, uh, this. What is inside you that is stimulating the emotions, making driving you the driving forces of your life? Are they all good? I mean, there are certain natural ones, reproduction, uh, find food, uh, hunting and foraging. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I will do my math problems and then I will get to eat this orange. <laughs> so, he's he's tapping in. He's created a social structure at the uh, dining room table where he does his studies. I think that's where he does them. I'm not sure where he does them. Uh, where if I... If I finish this problem, I get to eat that orange slice. And we talked about that in the last show, if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about. But he's created a social environment in which he is motivated to do what he needs to get done because he logically knows that he needs to get it done. His parents have told him to get it done and he wants to please them. But that's not enough. He has to create this extra ritual of finish the problem and eat the orange. And these are mechanics of society. This is how we do things a lot of times. What are other motivating factors that are inside us that we don't see that are that are causing us not to be able to where we need this counterbalance in our uh, socioeconomic structure? And are there th- elements inside of us And how do we get rid of them that are detrimental to life, that are actually causing us, you know, like causing Jeffrey Dahmer to kill and eat people, causing somebody else to be rude. I mean, it doesn't have to be the extreme. We see the extreme, but the same process will take place on more subtle levels. What is causing you to abandon your congregation, walk away from it and go somewhere else and accept ideas that you've never known before why is it convenient to do that is it because when i'm with the congregation i am seeing parts of myself i do not want to see if it is my congregation the people i'm congregating with actually not tickling my ears and making me feel good but they're actually making challenging me to see myself as i really am and how did they do that You see, if you patiently love somebody, kind to them, help them, and you don't do it for any selfish motivation, you know what's going to happen? They're going to see their selfish motivation. It's going to bring a light to the relationship. Remember, emotions is about relationships. As much as, you know, a lot of, or the lack of those relationships. When people are bringing light to it because they're just treating you with the love of Christ, you may find that light uncomfortable. If you have somebody in your congregation that you think, like, this person really doesn't belong here. They got all these, you know, the the, the way they do things and the, the way they treat people and the, they're lazy or they're selfish, whatever it is. I mean, it could be a million things. And you think, why are they here? 
you just keep bringing, turning the light up. Turning the light up. Turning the light up. You don't have to necessarily criticize them or pick on them. You just have to love them. And they, and if you learn how to love properly, you will drive them away. Christ could have drove away all the people that were trying to crucify him. Anytime he wanted, he could have drove them away and stopped them in their tracks. But he chose not to because he was following a plan which most people do not understand. Most religionists today don't understand what Christ was really doing. Christ was opening a door. problem is everybody's going through the other door that evil opens. How does evil open a door? It gets you to want things, lust after things. It will turn you over to unnatural passions. And and when you see people being turned over to unnatural passions, you know that the door is opening to the world, this realm of evil. And that's opening wide now, which is actually part of the hot topic that I was going to, I promised to talk about, but I didn't tell anybody what it was. Uh, what is inside of us? How did it get there? Is it us or is it something foreign to us? Does it have a life of its own? Does it have an agenda of its own? Uh, who is making our choices for us? Are we making our choices or is somebody else making our choices and convincing us that it's us? Can, you know, the, all the temptation doesn't come from outside. It may not be us. It may come from inside. So the question is, what is us and what is not us? Who is the enemy? The enemy, is it us or is it in us? What do we really love? Who are we as individuals? Why do we have these phobias? There's all these kinds of questions. Now, the debate that's going on in the world today is, what bathrooms are we allowed to use? (laughs) You know, we've got the world on the brink of economic collapse whole world on the verge of economic collapse. You got 30 days supply of wheat in the pipeline worldwide to feed the world. We're on the verge of what is probably going to be global cooling. Certainly vast weather changes that can devastate crops worldwide and interrupt the flow of food unbelievably so that millions, even billions of people will starve to death. We are having uh, uh, political events worldwide that could end up in, uh, uh, as well as geological and astronomical events that could shut down power for half the planet overnight. Uh, which, according to you know the people that do the studies, say that 90%, if this happened in America, 90% of Americans would be dead within the first year. What is it, 400 million Americans? That would leave, what, uh, 40 million Americans when we were done? Uh, That's not very good figures. (laughs) Uh, For the whole United States, uh, could happen in Europe, could happen a lot of places. Now, you shut down the power, Africa would suffer tremendously, but they shut down the rest of... Uh, European and American uh, influence 
and uh, trade and uh, Africa could go back into the dark ages same with South America I mean people would be back in the jungles trying to survive and killing each other and eating each other and everything else there have been climate changes from time to time back in 500 AD where there was cannibalism in Europe and in Asia because there simply was no growing season for several years there, there was no summer period and you couldn't you grow any kind of crops failed over and over again there's 7 billion, maybe 8 billion people in the world today. They all eat every day. If you start devastating the crops like there was in 500 A.D., uh, the, the last major global cooling was in uh, probably around 1700 to the early 1800s. Uh, and, you know, their, their rivers were freezing over all winter that don't freeze over now. By uh, 2020, they may be freezing over again. Maybe not. I don't know. But what's happening in society is that we're moving. Whole of society is moving and being moved mentally and emotionally away from certain patterns to the patterns that we call the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And they don't, they don't, with all that happening in the world, people are arguing over can transgender people, you know, a guy who thinks he's a woman, use the women's restroom. And they're arguing about it. And people are saying, I'm shocked. We're facing all this possible Iranian nuclear wars, uh, uh, EMPs from Korea. Uh, economic collapse worldwide, uh, food shortages, we're facing all this stuff, and you guys are worried about who's using what bathroom. Well, actually, what is the most significant event taking place? This controversy over who's using what bathroom is actually as telling as anything else in the news. Of course, mostly what you see in the news is ridiculous and absurd. And it's insane. You got You got the Attorney General threatening the state of Carolina because they're saying no men have to use the men's restroom, women have to use the women's restroom. They're not picking on anybody. They're just saying you got male plumbing, use the male restroom. You got female plumbing, use the female restroom. That's that's it. That's the division. You know what the reality. You're you got male parts, use the male restroom. Period. But now now we're going to threaten the entire state and everybody in the state because what, less than 1% of the people want to use the other restroom? We're going to take a lawsuit against them and because of this terrible thing where they say guys use the guys' restroom, women use the women's restroom? That's insane. It's crazy. And they sit up there and they talk on the news and people listen to them like they have some sort of sense in what they're saying. And But now a lot of you are saying, well, this is absolutely crazy. But it is crazy, but it is telling. It's psychosis. They can't see the truth. They can't see reality. I heard one news commentator point out, it says, wait a minute, you get to use the women's restroom, you're a guy, you get to use the women's restroom because you feel like you're a woman. 
Well, what happens if I feel handicapped? Then I get to use handicapped parking. I'd love to see somebody. I would, you know, if I had the time and the energy and all that stuff, I'd love to challenge that in court. Wait, wait a minute. I felt handicapped. That's discrimination to say that I, I, I have to have, uh, you know, doctors prove my uh, handicap sticker. Because I'm not handicapped. I just feel handicapped. So I should be able to use the handicap parking, right? I mean, if you feel like a woman, you get to use the women's restroom. Even though you're not a woman, you're a man. The reality is you're a man. But you feel like a woman, so you get to use the women's restroom. Well, I should be able to... I feel handicapped. I should be able to use the handicap parking. You can't give me a ticket anymore. What happened if I... If I'm from... Iran or Iraq or Syria or Mexico. I feel like an American. I should be able to come to America. I don't need a passport. I feel like an American. I should be allowed to come to America. You can't stop me at the borders. That's discrimination. I feel like an American. (laughs) I mean, like, this is how crazy it is. This is how insane it is. You know, they do this. Now, what what is a psychiatrist, chief psychiatrist at John Hopkins Hospital for 26 years, a medical institution that used to be involved and pioneered sex change surgery for people who say, I feel like a woman, and they want to change themselves physically. They later ceased that practice, but they pioneered it originally. Okay, what does he say about this? Stress that the culture mem, he says, or ideas that one sex is fluid and a matter of choice is extremely damaging, especially to young people. You know, they call it gender dysphoria. A state of unease or generalized dissatisfaction with your gender. Your life because of your gender. So you want to change it. Because you're dissatisfied. Because they call it dysphoria. It actually should be called a syndrome. But they got away from that. Because you know. That makes people feel bad. It's psychosis. You're a guy. But you don't want to admit that you're a guy. You want to, You don't feel comfortable with it. Well what about the guy who got his arm cut off. And he felt like the arm was still there. Or the guy who felt like his arm was not his arm. And wanted it cut off. And so he actually had his arm. Now, you know, now he is handicapped. You know? Because he had his arm cut off. And so now he can't work. And so now he gets to be on government dole. What about the guy who thinks he's a six-year-old girl? And now he gets adopted by a family. And he has a family. But he doesn't want to have to support them anymore. Because he's only a six-year-old girl. At least he feels like that. That's crazy. But we're not supposed to use the word crazy. That's what he feels. So we're supposed to cater to it. But according to this Dr. McHugh, no, you shouldn't cater to it. The condition of feeling one's emotional or psychological identity as a male or female to be the opposite to one's biological reality. That's what this this, uh, gender dysphoria is all about. Now, some say it belongs to a family of disorders, assumptions about the body, such as 
anorexia or, or nevo, uh, anorexia nervosa, which anorexia where people are, aren't eating and they're becoming... I know some people, they were down to like 90 pounds and their organs were starting to shut down because they had this fear of weight gain. They feared this uh, pathological fear of weight gain, which leads to these terrible eating patterns and, and, and a state of malnutrition, usually excessive weight loss. That's what this uh, anorexia nervosa is. Okay, so uh, how does Dr. Uh, McHugh says he says the treatment of this gender dysphoria uh, should not be directed at the body as with a surgery or hormones any more than the treatment uh, of uh, anorexic patients should be liposuction. <laughs> so, I don't know, um, well, the ones that I've seen, there's no way that you could use liposuction. But he says it's insane. The, the idea that you you change the person physically to match what they feel, you know, is he says that's crazy. Now, he's from the hospital that was pioneering this these operations. But he's saying that this is this is not right. He says a lot more than that. Now, I'm sure not a lot of our listeners, but a lot of people that might listen to this eventually will disagree with what I'm going to say. But I'm going to back it up with reality and statistics. But then I'm also going to show you why this is a sign of our times. And how this fits in to where we are headed as a world, not a nation, but as a world today. We'll be right back. So, welcome back. So, we were talking about the fact that the sign of the times is the fact that people who are males think they're females and people who are females think they are males. Uh, there's a lot more to this. This is just part of that. But what it is is that people are perverting the natural use of sexuality to something other than the purpose of sexuality, which is the reproduction of the species. That's that's what it's there for, is to reproduce the species. We've perverted that, and that is a sure sign that the species is about to go through a huge die-off. A huge die-off. Now, it's not... The, the people who are victim to this are not the cause of it. The cause goes much deeper. And there are, are subtle... Things that are changing that are not so... I mean, you always have somebody throwing up a picture of some guy, clearly a guy, in drag. And saying, you know, look at this. This is crazy and everything. Well, that's obvious. I mean, it's like holding up Jeffrey Dahmer and talking about bad habits. Uh, Yeah, he's got bad habits. Okay, he kills and eats people. 
But there's a lot of bad habits that are not quite as dramatic, but they're still moving down the same path. And so the idea of dealing with the problem of transgenderism or uh, gender dysphoria by actually allowing them to have a physical surgery is crazy. Even putting on a dress and wig and lipstick and stuff, that's crazy too. It's crazy because you're hurting the individual who has the fixation. You're humoring uh, a psychosis. It is a psychosis because the reality is they are this, but they want to think they are something else. Because they have some sort of discomfort with what they, with reality. The person who has the arm that he thinks is not his arm is invaded somewhere. What's happening is mapping out in his physical body is something that is going on in his spiritual being, in his emotional and spiritual being. There's something in him that is not him. And he has mapped it to exclude that what's in him is that's not him is his arm. That's where he's put it. He's put it in his arm. And if I cut off my arm, then I won't have this foreign thing in me anymore. That's It will be detached. I will detach it from it. But the reality is it's spiritual. Something is in him that is foreign. He has recognized that, but he has mapped it into his arm. And he thinks if I cut it off, it'll be gone. But no, it'll still be in there. And what is it doing? It is driving him to destroy him. One finger, one hand, one arm at a time. He cut off the arm. He says, oh, we should have cut off the elbow too. Because now it's the elbow is foreign. It doesn't have anything to do with the body. This is physical mapping of an emotional and spiritual problem that we can deal with, that we can go to. And we have to, all we have to do is see it. You know, like the guy who has the phantom pain. He sees what looks like his right arm. He knows it's not his right arm. He's looking in a box and he's seeing the reflection of his left arm. Mentally, he knows exactly what he's looking at. But as long as he imagines it to be his right arm moving like his left arm, then the, he is allowed to remap the pain centers till the pain goes away. His brain is just doing this back there in his subconscious. And it's freeing him from the pain. This is what forgiveness does, by the way. Forgiveness can remap your and what will destroy you? Rituals, which is idolatry. Where you say, oh, we have to follow this ritual. We have to follow this pattern. Physical pattern. We will follow this physical pattern and it will straighten us out spiritually. That's witchcraft. That's idolatry. No, you have to look, you have to take the spiritual journey into yourself and see yourself as you really are. Forgive yourself as well as the other people who have gotten into you. Their identities have gotten into you. You have to forgive that in order to be set free. This is what forgive them. They know not what they do leads to setting you free. That is the spirit that you have to approach everything. But the transgender person, the person who is uncomfortable with the reality of his sex... 
the the reality of his anatomy, you know, whether it's his right arm or his, uh, you know, or another part of his body, he thinks he needs to cut off in order to be comfortable with him, with the reality of himself. This is all a spiritual thing. This has nothing to do with your physical body. It doesn't have nothing to do. Your hormones are being secreted based on the way in which you've been wired and you've been wired because of trauma. 10 to 15 years after surgical reassignment, the suicide rate of those who had undergone the sex reassignment surgery rose to 20 times that of their comparable peers. That's amazing. So, in, in other words, if you recommend or pay for the surgery, you have created the risk that you are 20 times more likely to want to take your life within the next 10 years, 10 to 15 years. You have done that patient a disservice. Now, this is... Because he went on to say, it proves not easy nor wise to live in a counterfeit sexual garb. Whether it's clothes or you actually physically alter yourself through surgery. The most thorough follow-up of sex reassignment people, extending over 30 years and conducted in Sweden, where their culture is strongly supportive of transgenders, documents their lifelong mental unrest. Why? Because the problem is not... You don't change the problem by changing the physical reality of the individual. We have gone so far that parents are actually altering their children. That's that's mutilation. Now, that, again, this is a sign of the times. What are you doing that's much more subtle, not so obvious, that is that is keeping you from seeing the truth about yourself? Again, you know, like I say, you, you, we can talk about people who have bad habits and use Jeffrey Dahmer as an example, or we can take somebody else who has something a lot less dramatic. Like you, I'm sure you have some bad habits. Things you do, you should not do, but you do them habitually because of something pulling the strings of your emotions from inside yourself that does not really belong there, that's not really you. You want to be free of that. You have to take that journey within. One of the ways to take that journey within is who haven't you forgiven? Who giving, you cannot give to people you don't forgive. It's very, very difficult. You're not attracted to give to people you don't forgive. So you need to give and forgive in order to take that journey. It helps you, it draws you near. Sacrifice. The word sacrifice in the Hebrew is from a word that means to draw near. You want to draw near the righteousness of Christ. You have to sacrifice for the well-being of other people. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's just showing up at meetings. Maybe it's going out. You know, like all our congregations are small. They're meant to be small because they need to be intimate. 
You don't want a 500-man congregation. You want 50 10-man congregations. And even the, the, the 50 are broke down into five separate groups of 10-man congregations. <laughs> that's, that's how networking works. Otherwise, it becomes a cancer. And so you, you link these relationships. Okay, so how do you start a food kitchen with 10 people? That's not very many people. That, that take a lot of time. Well, there's lots of food kitchens out there already started. There's a lot of shelters already started. There are a lot of people out there already working with the homeless. You get together in your congregation, two, three, four, five people, and you go and you work with those people. And you bring the light of Christ. You're not going to start your big charitable organization and all this stuff. You're just going to go help. Serve one another. But you now you, you there's good ways to do this and bad ways to do this. And you can figure that out. That's another, another topic for another time. There's a thing called autogenophilia. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a sex-fueled mental illness. They actually say it's a mental illness that was, uh, the term was created by Ray Blanchard. And he defines it as a man is, uh, paraphilic tendencies to be sexually aroused by the thought or image of himself as a woman. Now, who who do we know who has that feeling? Well, Bruce Jenner. You know, Bruce Jenner. Now, I, I haven't ever met the guy and I don't, I don't know the guy. I remember back when he was in uh, the Olympics and everything. Uh but what's what's really going on is that he he's a autogenophilia, and he's drawn to that. And and we can go through there's all kinds of little names and you know they categorize it. And we can get all complicated about it and everything. And there really isn't any point in that. And the the reality is, is this is not natural. But now he dresses up like a woman and all this kind of stuff and everything. Uh, and they people actually encourage this by giving him Woman of the Year award. It was like insane, but uh, and, and it's going to lead to more and more trauma. The more and more you people cater to his delusion, uh, the more disservice you're doing to him. You're going to create more and more trauma for him. You're going to prolong it. It's going to be a greater fall. And and the fact is, is he's fooling himself, and it's, and he's also trying to fool Mother Nature. And it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. <laughs> so, so what uh, what are we gonna? What does all this mean? Romans one twenty six says, "For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women." Now, he says even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Now, that means the men were doing it, but even the women were doing it. And, of course, we have that taking place today. And And the next verse is, And likewise also the men, the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned, uh, with a lust, 
in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Now, what what are they talking about? I mean, that's what we're seeing. That's why you have 20 times the suicide rate. That's not this, you know, that's not a small figure. Suicide rate amongst people who we cater to and we think we're helping them out by saying, oh yes, let them change and, you know, let them do this and let's let them have their, you know, so they can go into any restroom and everything. We're catering to their psychosis, which is going to be bringing them closer and closer to, I mean, with the ultimate loss, which is suicide. There's a whole lot of damage that is being done to them psychologically, emotionally, physically, that is not easily repaired in most cases. And physically, they can't go back. And they're actually doing this to children. And why is that? Because they're the people, not just the people doing this, but the people that are catering to them are being turned over to an unnatural approach to very natural reality. And and they get violent when you point out that this is crazy, insane, unnatural. But the fact is that this is a sign of the times. And this is this is the part of the extreme, but there's a lot more subtle things. Like people who go and want to go to public school, want to go to uh, uh, get public benefits, uh, welfare, food stamps, all these things. And they think, well, this is the way we do it. Now, we, we, we take, take from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Uh, you know, we need this assistance, you know, because I, I have kids who need help. I have, uh, uh, you know, how else can I support them if I don't get assistance from the government? Well, have you been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness with your whole heart, mind, and soul? Have you been laying down your life? daily as Christ laid down his life for you if you had Christ in you that would not be hard to do but it is hard for you to do and so we we take an orange and we slice the orange up and say you get an orange <laughs> get a slice if you deal with this problem you you have to do it you have to set the parameters so you gather together in congregations and guess what all the people in your congregation they're not going to be a perfect so you get into this congregation and you deal with the people that are in that congregation because God's put them there, brought them to you. And but, but mostly what you're going to deal with is you, your unforgiveness, your impatience, your unnatural desires. I mean, obviously, you don't have to be, uh, you know, transgender or transvestite to have unnatural desires. You can you can just be angry. You want to be judged. You want to you you want people to give you fruit. You say I don't see any fruit being born in this congregation. In reality, you are the one who is the recipient of almost all the fruit that the congregation brought. What is the fruit? What was the fruit of Christ? Christ came to give His life willingly. 
If Christ is in you, you will gather together to give your life willingly. You, don't you do that when you have children? When you have children and you, you give up your time, you you wake up in the middle of the night, you take care of them, you go to work, you earn money, you don't spend it on yourself, you spend it on your kids, you spend it on what the kids need, you, you do without, you sacrifice for your kids. Why? Because that's part of God drawing you towards the kingdom. Now, the other realm that you can be drawn to, what is it going to be? It's going to be selfish. It's going to say, oh, we want nicer school. Let's just tax everybody in the community and force them to pay for a nicer school, more health care for the teachers, more uh, vacation time for the teachers. We will just take from the general population. Now, we see the rise of socialism in America where it's not only okay to say that you're a socialist. It is... It is a driven thing in in millions upon millions upon millions of individuals. The spirit of socialism is alive and well and being promoted as a good thing. And what what does it say after that verse 27? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You know what? Atheists? People that don't believe in God think you're funny for thinking that there's multiple realms, which is actually a scientific reality. God gave them over to reprobate minds to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate. Oh, they love debate. Deceit. They they love to deceive. They get a kick out of it. They actually giggle when they fool you. Malignity. Whisperers. Oh, they love to tell stories behind your back. Backbiters. Oh, they love that. Oh, you guys just don't know like I know. Haters of God. They actually are haters. They may have a form of godliness. But they despise the power thereof. They deny it. Haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. And, and so you'll be choosing, what liar do I want to elect as prime minister, president, or whatever? They will be disobedient to parents. They won't even care about their parents. They won't be, they, for generations now, we haven't had to take care of our parents. We've turned them over to the government to take care of them. Because we gave. We, our sacrifice was our social, we paid into social security. Our parents are supposed to be taken care of by social security. And we get vehement if we think, oh, we, you know, there were riots at the time of Jesus Christ mentioned in the Bible that were, those riots took place because they accused the government of pilfering their social security. You probably don't know that. Of course, you didn't know what Nicolaitans were. I'm not here to tickle your ears to make you feel good about your error. I want you to see it so you turn around, repent, and go back the other way. Without understanding the covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, why are you in a congregation? To learn to love. You don't join a congregation so that people will love you. You learn to love them. 
when you have kids, you'll have disobedient kids. You have to love the disobedient kid just as much as the obedient one. You have to take care of them. We had we have had a number of border collies. We had one border collie. It was the litter, the last of the litter of pups, and it was always stupid. We took care of it and took care of it and took care of it, <laughs> and it never really learned to herd sheep. Never really learned to carry its own weight. Ate lots of dog food, and eventually it passed on. But we took care of it because that's what we were given. That's what we got. We sold all the good ones. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's the way it is with life. You have to take care of those that are put before you. And you gather in a congregation the same as you gather in a husband and wife. You know, you're, the divorce was given to you because of the hardness of your heart. And if you divorced your wife and then you wanted to remarry her again, that was forbidden because God hates sin. What was, but what was the sin? Well, the sin was that you divorced her to begin with, that you're, you were unforgiving to begin with. And now you decide you want to go back. So he, you know, I'm not going to oppose that Old Testament deal, but they, they impose that. And if you want a divorce, this is final. You don't get to remarry her again in six months, you know, even if you are Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. You don't get to come back together again. Because I don't want you to separate this way. I want you to stick it out together and work it out together. Because in working it out together, you get to see yourself as you really are. You can't just amputate your spouse and make your problems go away. You are one flesh. You are connected forever. And you see, you have to work it out. But the world says, no, we'll just amputate that. With this divorce, no. Same with congregations. Stick together. We're going to talk more about this in the next show, but that will be later on today. Until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.